Well, listen, before we jump too far into it, I just want to say thank you. It's wonderful to see you. I'm glad you're here. Um, just one note. Um, as we come back to church, I know everybody's ready to like, hey, get to it. Just be, I'm going to ask you just be patient. <laughs> like we want things to be present, the things the way it always used to be, and we're getting there. But just have patience with us. We, we love your kids, we love your students, and we're getting there. But please, please have patience as we work all those things out. It's not real easy, to be honest with you trying to figure all this out. So we're, we're, uh, we're working at it. Um, Matt did an amazing job last week setting us up for today's message. And it is my hope today that your hearts would be wide open and that you would be willing not just to hear God's word, but to live in obedience. Because the truth is today's message is really, really difficult to put into practice. It is. It's hard to put into practice. Last week's message was hard to take, hard to put into practice. But today, if we're just here to hear a sermon and then go and live the same way, we're going to miss it. And I don't want you to miss it. I want your life to be changed. I want the lives of those around you to be changed. I want us to live a life that is actually radical. Coming to church is not radical. Reading the Bible is not radical. Putting it into practice, doing what it says, is radical, and that's actually what changes the world, right? God changes the world through his people because we obey what he tells us to do. I'm just trying to give you fair warning. I didn't like it either, okay? Just fair warning. And I'm not coming at it from an angle of like, I know how to do this really well. I'm just telling you what it's gonna say, and I don't like it as much as you're not gonna like it. It's the worst part about being a pastor. You gotta figure out the message before you preach it, and he makes you kind of live it out before you have to tell it. So I have to deal with it two times. You're welcome. <laughs> We're going to continue our sermon on the Mount. It'll be in Matthew 5. Before we get there, I, I went on this uh, mission trip to Belize. I know that doesn't sound like a mission trip. There are some really terrible parts of Belize that we got a chance to go and speak into. And when I say mission trip, like when I think of mission trip, I'm like sleeping in a dirt field in a tent with armed guards walking the property because people are going to come and steal your students, all that sort of thing. Like that's, to me, I'm like, yeah, mission trip. This was mission trip kind of light. Like it was a real nice digs and we, you know, and the kids would go to bed and then some of the youth pastors would go out with some of the locals on these boats on the river and go catch crocodiles. <laughs> So here's what we do. We go and you spot them. I would spotlight the crocodiles and we would shut the engines off and coast in to the crocodile, these red eyes, beady eyes sitting on the water. And we would get there and I would hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. And these, these people would reach in and grab them real fast at their snout. And then we would tape them up real fast. Do not try this. Don't, don't do this. You know who you are. But that's what we do. Once they're taped, they can't open their mouth and they're safe. So as any good youth pastor would do after that, we would come back to the camp with the crocodile and put it in the bed of somebody. <laughs> and so what we did, Jonathan Spencer was his name. He was a youth pastor at the time. And he was fast asleep. Like, <clears throat> I mean, he was like sawing logs. Like, <clears throat> you know, like somebody's way out. And this is how it went. I'm gonna, this is me. I'm asleep. I'm not going to lay down. It'll be weird. So we come in with this six-foot crocodile, snout tape shut. And I, being the good friend that I am, put the crocodile in the bed with him, next to him, next to him. 
Now, I think it's hilarious. Now, the r- only right thing to do in that situation is to have a video camera. So we had a video camera going because we wanted to record the next America's Funniest Home Videos $100,000 entry. And I'm going to tell you why his reaction was both the lamest reaction and the best reaction. Six-foot crocodile. He, this was his response. He looked up. He looked at that crocodile. He looked at us. And he went back to sleep. Zero reaction to somebody putting a six-foot crocodile in your bed right next to your head. Now, I told him I was going to tell that story, and he told me that he hated me in his heart during that time, and I don't blame him, but he did not respond that way, and I learned something from that, and from, it it was one of those things that was a a reinforcement of a lesson I learned earlier in my life, right? I got picked on a lot. I got picked on because I was short, I was skinny, I was a total nerd, you know, I was happy-go-lucky, and people love to steal your joy, so, you know, I got picked on all the time, and parents and teachers would tell me, just, you just need to ignore them. Well, that sounds really, really easy. But when you're, when you're burning in your guts, angry, when you're burning in your guts because I didn't do anything to deserve this, why is this so unfair? Why is it that I have to be the bigger person? You ever tell your kids that? You just need to be the bigger person. Don't you stoop to the level? Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of you are like, yeah, I know, I've heard that too. You thought it was dumb advice when you gave it, let alone be the one to get it right? How many times have we told our kids that? How many times in the office you're like, oh, I better be the bigger person? Never, because you're ready to go take a pound of flesh from whoever it was that messed with you that day. We don't do this very well, do we? And I think it's really important before we get into what Jesus says that we acknowledge the very real, very valid feelings that happen in us when life is unjust, when things are not fair. King David, he said it best, Psalm 139, oh Lord, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. (laughs) Your thoughts of me, I'm a wonderful work. I know that full well. He says, your thoughts about me are outnumber the the grains of sand on the seashore. Next line. And I hate all of your enemies. They're my enemies. Would you kill the wicked? You see where I'm going with this? He's, yeah, God, you're all nicey-nicey, but my enemies, you can obliterate those fools off the earth. Like, this is, this is how we feel, is it not? Like, we know the right thing to do, but doing is real hard. Think about at the end. Jesus, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane hanging out with his boys. And what happens? His enemies come to arrest him. Unjustly. We'll get there in a little bit. And Peter, he's like, hey, our enemies are here. You know what he does? He, shing, swap. And the dude's ear falls off. Malchus had a real bad day because Peter couldn't figure out how to engage his enemies. And, P- and Jesus tells him straight up then, he says, look, he says, if you're gonna live by the sword, you draw that sword, you're gonna live by that sword the rest of your life. See, because when we can't figure out a way to engage our enemies differently than what's inside, not only will it rule us, but we'll be covered in blood the rest of our life. Jesus says there's no win there. So the question is, what's the win? How do, we, how do we win? How do we actually defeat our enemies? How do we overcome that need for now justice when it feels like that's the only right, fair thing to do? How do we win? 
So here's the question we gotta ask. Who's our enemy? Who's your enemy? Are you a Christian? Who's your enemy? Is the unbeliever your enemy? Are you an unbeliever? Maybe you're an atheist, an agnostic. I used to be. Is the Christian your enemy? Is somebody with different skin your enemy? How about the other side of the aisle enemy? Are you a Republican? Is the Democrat your enemy? Is the socialist? If you're a Democrat, who's the, who's the other side? Are you for Trump? Are you for Biden? Are you for somebody in the middle? Like, who's your enemy? And why are they enemy? And who told you they were your enemy? You want to ever ask you that question? Who told you they were your enemy? But if we don't pay attention, maybe you have the same feeling I do, that maybe we've all just been duped and somebody's playing us. Somebody's, somebody's playing us against one another. Now, let me tell you, there's some very real, very serious, valid hurts that we carry, is there not? We carry scars. We carry scars from being kids. We carry scars from our history. We carry scars from the relationships in our life. We carry scars, and there are enemies. So what do we do with it? How do we win? How do we actually overcome those enemies? Now that you're mad at me, I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. Jesus is having this conversation. This is the last of the you have heard it said before statements in the Sermon on the Mount. Right? We started with the law. Right? Here's the law. He came to fulfill it, not abolish it. Hey, you've heard it said don't murder. You've heard it said don't commit adultery, divorce, oaths, an eye for an eye, so forth. And today he's going to talk about our enemies. And the hearers would have been taught very well about the law and about what the Old Testament says about our enemies and our neighbors. And let's just read it together. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. It's from Leviticus 19.18. And to be clear, the Old Testament does not promote hating or killing your enemies. In fact, Exodus 23 tells us that if your enemy loses an ox, you should go find it. Right? If, if your enemy need something, go get it. Offer assistance to those who are not your neighbor. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Jesus defined our enemies as those who curse us, hate us, and exploit us selfishly. And there's a part of us that is not okay with the unfair nature of that. We wrestle with this. This has been present for, forever. Since humanity started, there has been this need for fair justice. We see this played out with our kids. Mom, you don't, hey, they need punishment. You need to punish, you need to take their phone. Because she, how many times do your kids run to you telling you you need to punish your other kids? You need to take their cell phone. No, you know, you need to shave their head and make them walk to school like that. No, no, you know, no, cut off their left hand, their right foot, and, and post it online. Until we're the ones that have done the offending. And then what do we want? Your other kid, that same kid that's looking for that, you know what they did? You know what they want? When they're the ones, like, mom, hey, for real, I'm sorry. Mom, I promise I won't ever do it again. Mom, mom. 
10 minutes ago, you were looking for me to annihilate your sister or your brother, and now you're asking for justice and mercy and grace and forgiveness? Isn't that interesting? Verse 44 and 45. He causes the sun to rise. This is why, right, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. See, the idea is that, that God loves, he, he said the same rain that waters the crops of the, the righteous is the same rain that waters the crops of the wicked. The same things that get you out of trouble, the same things that get them out of trouble. God's love is not determined by whether or not someone is his enemy. And so he's saying, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you can be like God. Think about how your kids, family units, you can tell, right? We look alike, we talk alike, we have the same mannerisms, we, we get generally in the same thing. So you can go, oh, that's such and such's daughter. Oh, hey, that's Jim's son, you know what I mean? Like there's those things that we have that we are like one another. When kids are real little, they actually wanna be like their parents. And then they go into junior high, right? Teenager, who's your enemies? The bullies, mean kids, your parents. Teenagers be like, yeah, my parents, they're my enemies, right? There's no freedom in my house. It's a dictatorship. We might as well be communists. I heard that one last week. I said, you're right, girl. I said, this is a dictatorship. You have no freedom. And I ain't gonna apologize about it either. <laughs> Come on, somebody give me an amen in this house. Thank you very much. See, I'm not the only one. I'm gonna hear about that later too. See, here's the deal. Like, we, we want to be like our Heavenly Father. That's why he's talking about it. Remember, this is about relationship with God and with others. And when we love our enemies, we are like God. Verse 46, 47. We're going to get back to that in a minute. 46 and 47. If you love those who love you back, what rewards will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? See, listen, loving people who love you back is really easy. It's easy to love people who love you back. It's easy to greet people that you know. Think about it, let's talk, let's bring it to today. Let's bring it to the church. When you come to church, how many new people did you in, in, uh, introduce yourself to today? My guess is zero. See, when we come to church, you know what we do? We don't walk up to somebody like, oh, I don't know this guy. Hey, hi, my name is Johnny. I've never met you before. I don't know you. What's your name? We don't do that, do we? We like to greet those who we know will greet us back kindly. We don't want to offer a hand to somebody we don't know because what if they look at you funny? I get that every week anyway. Right, but we love those who will love us back because it gives us an immediate reward back. And Jesus is saying, look, it's easy. When I, was a, when I was an atheist, I did the same thing. You are no different for loving those people who will love you back than the rest of the world. Atheist, unbeliever, Buddhist, Hindu, and every other person on the face of the earth, our human nature is to love what is easy to love. That is not a radical thing, to love people who love you back. That's a normal thing. And then he says this, be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect. This does not imply sinless perfection. This implies a mature, complete godly character. 
That is what this is about. Jesus says this in First uh, Peter, or Peter says this rather. He says, for it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? If you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, loving you, or leaving you rather as an example. So here's the deal. God tells us, Jesus is telling us this thing, how to love your enemies. And it's like, what gives him the clout to do so? Like he, you're like, well, he was God. Well, yes, but he was also fully human. Which meant he had to make decisions on either to obey God or not obey God. So let's look at his example. Let's look at his very real level of expertise due to his experience. You can read it in Luke 22 and 23. You can read it in Matthew 26-ish. Jesus, right, when he was arrested, it wasn't because he did anything wrong. He was arrested unjustly. And he was arrested violently. When he was arrested, he's like, hey, am I leading a rebellion? I've been in the temple courts every single day with you. You didn't do anything. So why are you coming at me now with clubs and swords? And then they, they struck him and they spit on him. And then they brought him before a court for still doing nothing wrong. And he was convicted of doing nothing wrong. They had false people say all sorts of hateful things about him in order to convict him of something that he did not do. And then he was forced to carry his own cross after being beaten even more. And he was flogged and all those things. And he would carry his cross to the place of his execution for something he never did. In fact, the crazy part is this, that all the things that Jesus suffered were because of you and because of me. He didn't suffer for something that he did. Now, what did he do? That means that we were enemies of God. Because of your sin and my sin, that made us enemies of God. So what does he do? If we're enemies of God and he's telling us to love his enemies, how did he do that? You hear about it all the time. Second part of that first Peter, it says this. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And he bore our sin on that tree. He bore our, my sin on that tree. See, Jesus loved his enemies by giving his life. He has a very real ability to say what he is saying. This is not a trite, godly principle. This is real life to Jesus. When he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, bless those who curse you, it is because that's what he actually did. He did that by example for us. And if we're gonna call ourselves followers of Jesus, that's what we have to do. You can't say, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I hate that guy and I'm not gonna bless them because they cursed me. I'm not gonna forgive that person, they hurt me. You cannot say that you are a follower of Jesus if you are not willing to try and love your enemies. And I say try because it is very, very hard to love those who won't love you back or in fact, to make it even a step further, to love those who will purposely curse you instead. That's the kind of radical thing, though, that changes the world, is it not? To love somebody who won't love you back, to give to somebody who doesn't have anything to give you back. 
This is what Jesus is talking about. And it is what he is calling us to as his followers. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing while he was nailed up there on that cross. I want you to listen to something here. I'm gonna walk around here. I got a few friends who are gonna read. I told you I'll get to participate in church. So we're gonna read. I want you to hear the love of the Father has for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Not a girl. Mm. Got another one. John, let him have it. All right. This is one of my favorite verses. This is from Romans 5, 7 through 11. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though a good, for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Amen. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have recon received reconciliation. That's good. Here we got another one. It's my friend Chris. 1 John 3, 9 through 11. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right and is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. That's strong. See, I've got one over here. I think there's one more after that. Colossians 1, 21 through 23. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. That's good. Where's my last one? I forgot who I told. There it is. Thank you, Natalie. I'll sit with you. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, 
through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Is anything that you heard in there talk about how he gave us what we deserved? How he stuck it to us because we weren't worthy of his love? And yet that's how we treat our enemies, is it not? That's how we treat those who harm us. And I'm not saying that it doesn't, that it doesn't hurt. I'm not saying that those scars aren't real, but I promise the scars that I carry and the scars that you carry are not as deep as the wounds that Jesus carries because of me. The scars on his back and brow are in deep because of my dark sin, which means that he showed his love for me, poured out on Christ, right? His blood, his body broken, his ascension, all of those things were his love to me so that I could love other people. There is no differentiation between a friend and an enemy in the kingdom of God. We are to love them all. Now, it doesn't say you have to like them. It doesn't say you have to agree with them. It doesn't say that you have to go to lunch with them. But let me tell you something. I wonder what would happen is if when some lame-o trolls you on social media and decides to launch bombs at you, I wonder if instead the response being another bomb that we DM that person on the down low and say, hey, I'd love to take you to lunch. I'd like to listen to you a little more. You know how many times that's happened? I haven't heard of a story yet. But I wonder what it would look like if we did that for one another. I wonder what would happen if we loved our enemies the way that God loved us, his enemies, at one time. Romans 12, 14 to 21 tells us how. I'm gonna let you read that on your own because otherwise we'll be here all day. I'll preach a second sermon and nobody needs two sermons on one Sunday. Or maybe we do, I don't know. Listen, I'll forego the next meeting I got. I ain't even worried about that. Because love's the only way to repay our enemies and be like God. Love is the only way to repay our enemies and be like God. Here's how we love. You have to lay down your life. That's what Jesus did to love us. He laid down our life, his life for us. We have to offer kindness and care. You're about to see where I'm going with this. The L-O-V-E, it's an acronym. Lay down your life. We have to offer kindness and care. We have to veer away from vengeance. Aren't you glad that we didn't get what we deserve? Aren't you glad that we didn't get hell, eternal separation from God, which is what we deserve? I'm not telling you because I think I'm better than you. I'm telling you because I know how terrible I am. And I didn't get what I deserve. And if we're going to love our enemies, we have to endure to the end. It's not easy, y'all. Look, one day you're going to love well. The next day you'll be asking for the same forgiveness that the person needs from you. This is not easy. This isn't, this isn't childish faith. This is mature, Christ-honoring, God-following faith, and it requires you to be able to endure because if you're gonna lay down your life, offer kindness and care, you're gonna veer away from vengeance, the need to take out a pound of flesh or more, you're gonna have to endure to the end. And I wonder if we loved our enemies this way, if we'd see a few things change. I wonder if we loved our enemies 
this way, if we'd see more people come to Christ and more people come to church because they realize there's something happening there. I wonder if we loved people this way, if the younger generation who won't step foot in church might have a transformation. Not because we're doing anything cool, but because we learn to love people the way God loves us, even our enemies. I wonder what November would look like. God, for, get us there. Good Lord. Listen, I'm a, you're lucky I'm about to be done because if I wasn't done, we'd have another service going on right now. Listen. What would our kids get to experience in the next generation if this generation learns how to love their enemies the way God loves us? What? And I wonder if we could aim our hatred and anger at the one who's been dangling everybody against each other in the first place, and it's not a person. It's not a person. And you don't have to love him. I don't love him. The devil's been really good at telling you that because you're white or black or Asian or you're from some other country that you have to hate one another. The devil's been lying that if you have a blue shirt on, you have to hate a red shirt. The devil's been lying to you that if you're a woman, you're less than a man and that you should hate one another. And I gotta tell you, especially you kids, that is not the kingdom of God. That is not the kingdom of God. And even if we are enemies, as Christians, you're mandated to love one another anyway. Let's put that in our to-do list this week. And let's see the world change that way. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name and ask that you would change us. We are completely incapable of doing this on our own. In our flesh, God, we cannot learn to love one another. We cannot love our enemies. We can't learn to love those who we hate. God, we can't do that without your help. Father, would you forgive us, your sons and daughters who don't look like you all the time? Would you forgive us, Lord, for being selfish and self-righteous? And God, would you use us to transform the world? Not an acute sermon illustration, but for real, God, that you would use us to transform the world. Start with us in this room right now. That somebody would take an, a step of obedience today and then tomorrow and then the next day. Oh, Lord, take over. Take over, Lord. We're gonna enter in a time of, word, uh, of prayer as we always do at the end of the service. Those of you who are willing and able to help us up here, a part of the prayer team as you normally do, would you mind coming up? And we're gonna sing a song of worship and we're gonna stand together. And, and if you need to come up and receive prayer or you need to come up and you wanna know this Jesus, come do that. We'd love to introduce you. And then we'll continue in just a little bit.